Mumbrella 360 has locked in another prominent speaker for the two-day conference this year. Australia's most trusted health commentator, Dr Norman Swan, will reflect on the impact of broadcasting in the COVID era and his role in becoming Australia's face and the voice of the COVID crisis. To hear from Dr Swan at Mumbrella 360, book your tickets now and save $400 with early bird prices at www.mumbrella.com.au-mumbrella360. Welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm your host, Callum Jaspin, and joining me today for a podcast debut is junior reporter Kalila Welch. How are you doing, Kalila? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Cal? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Uh, getting by. And uh, today we're going to be just the two of us discussing the developing world of influencer marketing after ex Dentsu ANZ CEO and former IPG Media Brand CEO Henry Tager joined the influencer group last week. We'll also be joined by Hard Hat's Dan Monheit shortly. He'll be dialing in from Austin, Texas. And then later on in the episode, I'll be speaking to founder and CEO of Howitzen & Company, Chris Howitzen. Over the course of that conversation, Chris will be talking about how trust put in his previous relationships are helping his business grow, lessons learned and reflections from striking out on his own, the industry being more supportive of creative work and the differences in working in a group setup. Dan Monheit uh, from Australia's independent agency, Hard Hat. Uh, welcome to the podcast all the way out there in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Hey, what's up, man? It's good to be here and also good to be there. <laughs> good to have you. So obviously the uh, event is currently going on or I guess coming to a close. Um, after five days, you've been to, I think you mentioned 30 sessions, which is a hefty undertaking. It hasn't happened for the last two years. What's the kind of uh, feeling and vibe out there? Uh, it's it's a huge party, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm working hard. Everyone's working hard here, but there is just such a, a joy and an electricity in the air that you know, most people here haven't been to a conference for two years. So it's, you know, there's a, a few cautious minutes at the start, <laughs> you know, everyone's sort of readjusting, but now it, it, it just feels very much like it did back in the good old days of, you know, 17, 18, 19. And uh, obviously still probably COVID preventing some people from getting there. So I think you mentioned just beforehand, you've pretty much had free access into whatever session you've wanted to get into. From the ones that, that you've been to, obviously it's a very small fraction of the, the whole festival. Have you noticed any sort of running themes so far? Absolutely. I mean, maybe just to give people a little bit of context about getting into sessions, um, so there must be hundreds, if not thousands of sessions on over over the sort of week or so that is the interactive bit of South, South by Southwest. And when the numbers are big like they were in 2019, you literally would have to get places over an hour before to make sure you got in. So you're, you're usually leaving sessions before they finish to make sure you get into the next one and you're, you're planning your whole day on the ability to get into the sessions you really want to get into. And this year, it's been like a, ch- a cheat year, it feels like, because the content is still just as good the parties are just as good. The barbecue is just as good. Just the numbers are halved. So you can pretty much just turn up to whatever session you want. So, I mean, just today, um, I was in a session just before now on uh, what's happening in psychedelics featuring Tim Ferriss. And before that was Mark Zuckerberg's first live interview. 
uh, from the founder of FUBU, who's also on Shark Tank here. You know, first interview since announcing the name change to Meta. So that was pretty amazing. Uh, I went and saw the CEO of Pfizer yesterday. We had Lizzo on the same. I mean, it's just been amazing. Um, to actually answer your question, though, in terms of themes, I mean, I'm, my head feels a little bit like uh, scrambled eggs, you know, taking all of this content in the last week and, and not really having a lot of time to process it yet. But there is a lot of talk about creators and a big focus, you know, from you know, whether it's Meta or TikTok or YouTube, everybody's talking about the importance of creators and realizing that where the creators are, the viewers will go and the advertising dollars will follow. So everybody's you know, doing these big funds for creators and you know, talking about how to work with them, embrace them and empower them and give them agency over their content, which has been quite interesting. Um, we've also seen you know, that the metaverse has got a, uh, a spot in most presentations. If, if I'm honest, until Zuckerberg presented today, I still was no clearer on what it was. Uh, he did a pretty good job of articulating it. And it felt like for most speakers, they sort of made their presentation decks and then were like, oh, I should probably put something in about the metaverse. I'll drop one slide in. <laughs> right? And there's been some interesting conversations about you know, identity in the metaverse or metaverses and are people going to have multiple different personas? What are we going to do about security and authenticating people's identities? But the reality is, Nobody knows what this thing is yet. And it's literally, if it's going to exist, it's not even 5% built yet. So, um, Are you, are you uh, able to, I guess, uh, replicate any of what Zuckerberg said in describing it? Or, or were there any other particularly interesting notes that came out of his speech? So, I mean, what, what he spoke about was, you know, that the, the evolution of social connection, you know, is, is what... Facebook and now Meta has been about. And so, you know, he said in 2004 when he started Facebook, you know, it was very much text-based, you know, and Facebook was a website mainly comprised of text. And then internet got a little bit better and then it became photo-based. And then, um, you know, the, the networks and the phones and everything got better and it became video-based. And his hypothesis is that's not the end, that as long as we have the, the technology and the tools around us, to create more and more, I guess, realistic um, experiences, we will keep embracing those. And so, you know, what he talked about in, in the metaverse was, you know, this idea of having a genuine sense that you are in the same place as other people, a genuine presence with others. Um, and, you know, he talked a lot about like in a business context, how important it is in, in a meeting to be able to look someone in the eye. And that on Zoom, which we've all done for the last two years, that's been impossible. Um, so, you know, he talks about it as a platform and that just like any other piece of technology, some people will go there for business, some people will go there for games, some people will go there for entertainment, some people will go there for productivity tools. Uh, and again, it's a huge opportunity for creators because all of this stuff basically needs to get invented. There's no Microsoft Excel in the metaverse yet. There's no Facebook in the metaverse yet. So there's no e-commerce in the metaverse yet. So all of this needs to be made by some people. Yeah, and you, you kind of um you wrote you've obviously been writing a little bit while you've been over there. One of those was about I think uh, one of your your first ones should I say was about I guess being exposed to just big ideas again. Would you be able to kind of go into what you meant by that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, the the first two days were really just remembering how cool it was to be in a physical space with thousands and thousands of other people. And there's things that we'd all just forgotten about, like 
you know, just the kindness of strangers and hearing foreign languages spoken all around you and, you know, bonding with a person you don't know about the lack of PowerPoints, despite everybody here having a laptop and phones that needed to be charged. Just all those nice, very human experiences. And so I thought thought about the first two days was really a lot of that. And then the, the next two days for me were just this amazing reminder of the power of being exposed to big ideas. And while I was certainly conscious of my world shrinking around me, over the two years of COVID, you know, being limited down to one country, one state, you know, one house, one room, one laptop for most of my waking hours. Tell me about I perhaps it. Didn't realize, I perhaps didn't realize that that was also impacting the size of my thinking. And just to go, you know, in a 24-hour period to hear people, you know, not have big idea. I think I put in the article, not, you know, not, not big ideas like, geez, do we think we could get some interesting influences involved with this? Or do we think... Uh, you know, we might be able to get people back in the office two days a week or three days a week. Big ideas, like big, I don't know what's the rating on this show, like big fuck off ideas, like breaking the laws of physics or societal norms or tradition or, you know, and making shit happen. And so like in one 24 hour period, I saw Lizzo, you know, who's basically rewriting the rules of what media and society decide is beautiful. Like she was magnetic. And I think I said she was, uh, one part fireball, one part disco ball, one part wrecking ball. Like she was just unbelievable. If you get the chance to watch it online, like watch her. She was just amazing. And, you know, what she's doing at a societal level. And then, you know, to go from that to hear um, the uh, CEO of Pfizer talk about, you know, how a vaccine that normally takes 10 to 15 years to make can be done in under 12 months. And the rules of reality you have to bend or break to do that was just incredible. And then in the afternoon I went to a session with a young guy who's you know secured eighty million dollars in funding and some incredible partnerships to start up a league for elite sixteen and seventeen year old basketball players who have more social influence than any of their predecessors, but often don't benefit from that and and are missing parts of education and financial responsibility and like all of the things they need to be successful professional athletes and they basically you know they've created a sports league in a gap where dozens of other sports leagues have started and failed. So it was just such a good reminder to just think bigger and get inspired and just go out there and do something fucking awesome this year. I guess, does it give you, uh, does it give you hope for the year ahead here? I know there are plenty of events on the horizon umbrella. We've got a full slate. Unfortunately, there probably won't be the same barbecue there, but um, (laughs) how are you feeling about the year ahead here after it? Look, I, th- I think with a little bit of work, you guys could improve the barbecue at Umbrella 360. <laughs> um, but no as far taken. as what, what, what the vibe's going to be like, I mean, yeah, I have huge confidence. I mean, what, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot from a behavioral perspective is we're, we're all subject to something um, called the projection bias, which is the idea that we tend to take whatever our current set of tastes, priorities, and preferences are and imagine that that will always be our tastes, preferences and priorities you know it's why middle-aged people spend good money getting tattoos removed that young people spend good money getting right because we we change but we don't think we're going to change but we do and so when we're all at home and deprived of human contact we kind of tell ourselves that it's fine and we don't really want it to be anyway and it would be scary and gross to be in a room with all these other people but what i can tell you with a hundred percent degree of confidence because i've just been through it is it takes one minute for that to go away and you're like oh my god i forgot how awesome this was you know you just see people you haven't seen for two years. Like that is going to happen at Umbrella 360. People are going to meet who have only ever seen each other on these bloody screens. It, the, it's going to be, it's going to be good. 
it's going to be vibey. The parties are going to be wild. People are going to party like they haven't partied for two years. It's it's going to be amazing. Yeah, we can't wait. Well, thanks, Dan, for joining us from uh, over there in Austin, and we'll see you when you get back. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Coming up, Henry Tager joins the Influence Group, and we look into the world of influencer marketing. Henry Tager last week joined influencer marketing agency, The Influence Group, as CEO, also taking a stake in the business. His resume includes global CEO of IPG Media Brands, executive chairman locally of Media Brands, as well as managing director of Amazon Media Group Australia and CEO group of Dentsu Ages Network, ANZ. We spoke to Tager briefly this morning on his move. Interesting, he did notice note that it brought him out of a semi-retirement um, and by taking a significant stake in the business, this is an indication of how excited he is by the space. He also noted that after being out of the industry for a couple of years, he felt lucky to have not gone through the pressure that was adapting during the pandemic. Kalila, he also spoke pretty highly of the influencer marketing space in general. What else did he have to say? So for Tasia, influencer marketing has so much to offer the industry. As you mentioned, he said that if he wasn't so excited by the influencer space and the opportunity presents, he would have actually stayed semi-retired. While it's still early days for the category, he said that the improvements to measuring ROI and campaign objectives, which are a constant work in progress in the space, will be the key to successful influencer marketing. He also commented on the importance of strategy for those looking to reap the benefits of the space, um, which he describes as one of the most pure people-based models that is available to the market or to marketers. Uh, for Tager, there's also a huge majority that haven't been tapping into it, and he's really excited about the growth and the impact these capabilities can bring to other corporations. And Tager's not the, the first big industry name to be moving across to the growing influencer marketing space. Uh, in recent times, former Havis Media CEO and Chairman Mike Wilson and former publicist and Ogilvy Chief Executive Andrew Baxter um, also made the jump across to join Detch Singh at HypeTap. How's that going at HypeTap? A few big industry names there. I know you spoke to Mike Wilson this morning. Yeah, Cal, you're absolutely right. HypeTap seems to be shaping up as one of the biggest players in the influencer space, with Singh also at the helm of prominent industry body AIMCO. Um, both Mike and Andrew made the leap in October last year, joining former Mindshare CEO John Petropoulos. Uh, I had a chance to speak with Wilson earlier, as you mentioned, who said that um, the influencer category is no longer an afterthought and that it's making a significant contribution to ROI, uh, hence why it's experiencing so much growth at the moment. He added that influencer needs to be considered by the smart strategic thinkers in agencies as another string to add to their bow. They need to understand how it contributes to overall marketing activities, and they also need to understand the value that it returns. Obviously, it's a channel that's still finding its feet, and Wilson noted that work needs to be done to better isolate measures of influencer ROI from the rest of the marketing mix, um, and also that it, there is a need for greater accountability and benchmarking when it comes to results. In terms of where Influencer is going, uh, Wilson was expecting more multinational and global plays in the short to midterm future as the roles and categories continue to diversify. 
I also spoke with Tim Rasbash, founder of Yellow Agency, who said that influencers continuing to grow because brands understand that in order to be heard within social, they need to be using creators to generate content and conversations outside of what they're creating themselves um, on their own socials. Uh, in terms of ROI, Rasbash added that influencer marketing measurement is evolving. He noted that the range of objectives influencer marketing can fulfill are broadening as the channel increasingly becomes through the funnel. Um, with many campaigns reporting ROI based on sales as well as others reporting top of funnel metrics like cost, cost per meal. And um, I, I know you were also uh, covering the area a few weeks ago when there was that ongoing storyline regarding uh, the Therapeutic Goods, Goods Administration changing its regulation on wellness product marketing. I know, you know it's a bit of a confusing area with influencers promoting certain products what what was the sort of um was there a, was there a resolution to that because I know it was a it was a bit of confusion there and I know you also did a bit of asking around to gauge a bit of a, a feeling throughout the industry. Yeah, so that did create a bit of a splash. Um, obviously, there was quite a bit of misreporting on the new um, TGA advertising code, which sparked not an um, umbrella. No, never, never. Um, but some people did misreport it, um, which was really strange actually because the new code actually was announced in December and the media coverage came at the end of February, um, so a little bit belated there. But basically the confusion was about the impacts of the new rules on the influencer industry, which were falsely reported as an industry-wide ban on influencer promotion of therapeutic goods, um, and the definition of that was wrongly extended to include goods like skincare that aren't actually usually covered by the TGA unless they have a health claim or some sort of medicinal benefit. Um, luckily, AIMCO came out and clarified the changes, basically um, describing them as bringing the influencer industry in line with the rest of the advertising industry. Essentially, the changes rest primarily on the distinction between an endorsement and a testimonial um, the latter of which is not allowed. So basically what an influencer can say is this sunscreen is 50 plus, it'll last four hours, it'll protect you from the sun's rays and it's great, but they can't say this sunscreen has protected me from melanoma or mention anything about their personal experience or their personal views around that product. Um, so obviously it will have an impact on the industry in terms of how marketers and influencers can approach the promotion of therapeutic goods, um, which is something that AIMCO is going to continue to work with the TGA on um, to further clarify the distinction between an endorsement and a testimonial and ensure both marketers and influencers are informed about what they can and can't do. Also speaking to Teja before, he added that he felt the new changes were actually a really positive sign um, because it shows that the government is investing in influencer marketing, which is usually an indicator of longevity for new market, marketing formats. So he's hoping that this means that they think influencer is going to stick around. Certainly an area to look out for. And as you say, they're one that's going to stick around. Uh, coming up next, Khalil will be telling us about which sunscreen she recommends to keep you protected in the summer. <laughs> coming up next, I'll be chatting to Howitson and Company's Chris Howitson. Chris Howitson, CEO and founder of Howitson and Company. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Callum. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you. You too. You're very welcome. A year in, uh, around 53 staff later, what's your assessment of the agency so far? I'm really proud of it. 
firstly. That's the the biggest overwhelming thing. I feel like we've created a family environment um, in the sense that everyone's close team. We're all driven by the same motivations. We've got brilliant clients that we feel like we're fundamentally embedded in their business. And I think in a in a period of time where we've had fires, plague, flood, um, all sorts of home isolation, I, I just think that the world and war now, unfortunately, the world just feels so uh, volatile. And so it's really lovely to have a place that feels, you know, really stable and um, really consistent each day. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned there, obviously, one side of it is clients, the other side is people. You've made quite a bit of noise recently with a few of the the hires you've made, a couple notable ones from your former agency. Obviously, you don't want to give too much away, but is is there still, is there a particular area you're really looking for that right person in or maybe a particular role? Yeah, look, we're uh, we're really actively recruiting in Melbourne right now. So we're based, we're Sydney and Melbourne based, um, but we're really practicing the philosophy of, of one agency, multiple campuses. And I think Melbourne's been really heavily hit uh, after COVID. You know, it had the longest lockdown in the world, which is incredibly well documented. And I think a lot of people are um, a bit shell-shocked from that still. So uh, it's, it's a market where people are, are moving overseas and or just really betting in or leaving industry. So... It doesn't probably feel like as a city, it's got the same vitality maybe that has returned to, say, Brisbane and Sydney. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we are still looking uh, constantly to hire great people down there across a variety of roles. And you noted that we've been lucky enough to you know, attract some really great talent recently. I think that's just our overarching approach is how do we find the very best people and then give them the autonomy and independence of being able to build their own capability in their own departments and um, do that all under the banner of uh, creating the best, most influential work we can for our clients. And it's it's really interesting because this um, this year we have the added dynamic of internationals coming back into play. Is that is that something that you're increasingly looking at? And I guess how do, how does that play? And I know a lot of the hires that you've made um, have been obviously local because that's a lot of been <laughs> I guess on offer to date yeah i think i think the the flows are probably balancing themselves out a little bit there's a lot of people leaving and, and definitely people coming back we had a brief out uh for the cso role before we um you know found dom and, and fell in love with her and it's really like even though people are coming back from international markets or thinking about coming back uh, i think there's not a lot of people with concrete plans there's some really great cso level planning talent that's thinking of coming back to australia but I think they've also spent a couple of years overseas and they've wanted to live the lifestyle of those cities, but um, largely been locked in apartments and don't yeah. they haven't really experienced the culture of the cities they're in or the agencies that they've been working for. So I think there'll still be a few years yet until we return that normal flow of people coming back and forth. And then uh, I, I guess probably the most high profile hire you've made at the back end was at the back end of last year bringing in Levi uh, from Colenso BBDO uh, across the ditch there he was sort of the the last man standing of that very awarded team over that last uh, decade or so how did that one come about was there I guess a history between you two from your your Clemenger days um, and how, how is he settling in so far yeah yeah absolutely right we're very very pleased to welcome Levi into the team he 
Uh, he, he arrived here. We made that hire, obviously, middle of late last year. And uh, he arrived here on the 10th of January. We all came back to work and has been here ever since. Um, you know, I think the, the big thing that, you know, is not a secret is obviously Ant left our business last year, which was, um, you know, a big change. Ant and I had been friends for 14 years and um, we decided to go our separate ways around the business. And, um, and, and that's, you know, that, that's all cool and all amicable. Um, and so we were looking for a, a CCO leader that had international caliber. And when you, when you look around the global markets, again, it's, it's always a question of when you bring in someone, do they have the, I guess, the context to exist and succeed in the Australian market? And I think what is great about us in this market is it's a very hands-on market. There's not a lot of role for anyone in an agency just to, to be the, um, you know, naval gazer is a is a not a complimentary term, but you know our, our structure isn't big enough. Um, I don't just mean here, but I mean you know the the biggest agency in this, in Australia. You know the MSC Sarchis and the Cheps. You know they they need all their people on the tools. It's not those global network roles where someone's on a big client and um, is really only accountable for a couple of outputs a year of major significance. You know, like I think in this market where 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 with CMOs, with CEOs every day working on significant problems. And so finding the right talent to come back into that kind of active role is really difficult. And Levi's from Australia. Uh, he's worked all around the world, uh, but he's obviously had an incredibly successful tenure in two different stints at Colenso. And he certainly embodies that sort of approach of a hands-on CCO, and, um, but also with the calibre of global experience and global standing. So... So he, he kind of instantly fit the criteria. And then him and I had actually known each other for a long time through Clementry Group. So we started chatting and he was in a similar life, life stage that I was in terms of wanting to do something independent with the extra control that maybe this doesn't, um, you know, we always had great uh, previous roles, but we sort of thought now's the time to prove it ourselves. And, and the conversation happened very quickly. So from the first chat to hiring was, you know, was counted in days, not weeks. So, um, we already had yeah. a cultural fit and then we just hit off really quickly. And obviously, you know, he does have that, that same uh, working title as your, your former partner, White. Is that the remit of the role exactly the same bar, obviously, name on the door? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, Ant and I were equal partners and I bought his share out of the business. So, um, so Levi doesn't have that, that sort of um, legacy, but uh, yeah. his role as CCO is to be the governor of our creative product and a leader in the agency across everything we do. So, uh, you know, couldn't be happier to have a partner in creativity as, as you know, as Levi. Yeah, and obviously you, you mentioned there White leaving the the business last year. How did that sort of play out in terms of, I know you, you obviously um, stuck with all your clients, stuck with you, that process kind of, maybe a speed bump, but now back on track. How did that sort of play out? Yeah, look, in the, in the moment, any change is difficult, right? Like even, um, you know, we were chatting about moving the house before, like you've just moved house, you know, not to kind of make those two things similar points, but, you know, any change is disruptive. There's no question about that. And, um, you know, it's disruptive in terms of new people bring new processes, new styles, new ways of working, there's uh, knowledge gaps to fill. There's there's history to fill. So there's no question that it's disruptive. Um, we we're very lucky, as I've said many times before, to have 
incredible clients and, and have those relationships at really senior levels so we can really properly influence their business through creativity and through, you know, great strategic thinking. And, um, you know, we were able to talk to them about the situation and, and we've had their trust the whole way through. And, um, you know, and we, we're paying that back in the best work that we can deliver. So, yeah, we didn't lose any clients, uh, absolutely. Uh, and then I think the reorganisation of the agency has helped us accelerate and start really positively into this year. And I know you, you will have been very busy working on your your sort of the clients that you, you won at the start of uh, the agency's history. But then, as you say there, talent like Levi, um, all the other hires you've made, bringing in their own history – is he bringing across any leads, any potential new new work on the on the horizon or clients? Well, look, I think I think what we're really appreciating, which is something I am still so grateful for for this day, is our business has largely grown off incumbent relationships, people that we've worked with before, that we've built great trust in, and uh, and we know that you know we trust each other and we're going to do great things together, and that that's what's been great. Um, and, and that has allowed us essentially to kind of grow so quickly because we haven't had to spend too much time pitching with uncertainty, but instead we've been able to really focus our our efforts on real problems. Um, and and so that's great. And so I think every senior person we bring into the business is someone that has high efficacy in their past and that naturally brings some relationships with it. So um, certainly there are people that Levi has built those brilliant relationships with and there's a there's a few at the moment that we're starting to do projects for so i guess we just have to look at where everyone's coming from for <laughs> well um, look i think it's it's definitely not about taking it from incumbent agencies where, where we've hired people from i think the client market has been incredibly um fluid at the moment too right so there are there are people moving and taking new jobs everywhere and i think there's no greater compliment than when a client calls you and they've just started a new job and they're looking for someone to support them and they and they call you to do that. So we take that with uh, incredible responsibility, and and that's really what we're seeing has been a um, real driver of our growth. Is that previous trust is translating into new projects for us now? Where do you really see, or what position or place in the market do you see how it's an company taking up? Maybe perhaps looking forward five years. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I want our agency to be known for its ability to bring a diversity of marketing practices all to bear for a client to solve problems in the most agnostic way possible. And, um, and so that, that talks to capability and uh, having a spread of capability. So whether that's, um, you know, the classics data, customer experience, technology, brands, um, PR or, or influence. Uh, so how you bring all those different capabilities to bear with a um, orientating motivation around trying to express things the most creative and distinctive way possible and i think what's great about our industry now is that the definition of creativity has rapidly expanded um not just over the last decade but very much i think in the last 12 to 24 months where you know there's there's a great maturity in industry now that creativity isn't just about film craft or about um you know idea uh, singularity when it comes to how it might be communicated in a narrative format, but, but increasingly so around how we think about differentiated customer experiences, um, how we think about uh, employee engagement and cultural alignment. You know, there, there is a big remit for creativity now in organisations to innovate and transform. 
And so um, I, I want us to be known creatively in terms of, you know, if, if, if a client was to think about agencies in terms of hot or cold, hot for me is around the ability for an agency to bring creativity to bear to deliver more innovative solutions for clients, regardless of the application of that creativity. So it could be product, it could be service design, uh, it could be communications, it could be um, culture and, and staff, people and processes. But that's, that's our vision is that we're going to bring influence to bear wherever the client needs it to be. And I guess on, on creativity, uh, you, you've kind of been known for being a big proponent of really great and driving really great creative work. Uh, some of the work you've done so far, maybe pointing to your first campaign with Belong, um, I found it a really, a really cool campaign kind of thinking outside the box. Uh, what, what do you sort of make of the, the, I guess, the standard of work in the industry currently? Do you think the boundaries are being pushed enough, maybe too much? Yeah, I think what's really interesting is we never had a scarcity problem through COVID. So, you know, if, if you look at other great moments of, of human progress, it's happened at the time of major scarcity. So technological advancements during the World Wars, um, you know, if you think about our medical enhancements that's happened during COVID. So what, has, what we've been so lucky for in Australia is that we haven't been hit by major budget reductions um, you know, over the last couple of years. And indeed, you, you know, you, you reported on it is that last year was the the year where the highest amount of money has been spent in media in Australia's history. So in many ways, you could say the industry is in surplus. And, you know, what, what can happen in surplus is extravagance and, and people really exploring things and, and pushing the boundaries through extravagance. Um, but... I, even though I guess I've just made points both ways around we never went through that scarcity to really seek out innovation and equally we, we could be in a time of excess and being a bit wasteful. What I am seeing consistently across all business leaders is still the same challenges is how do we do more with less and what I think has been adopted far more robustly than potentially any time in my career so the last 21 years is the application of marketing science to determine um, what is the appropriate strategy? I've been talking a lot to my agency recently around where we want to see ourselves in the professional standing. And the analogy I give, if you went and saw a lawyer and said, if I did X, would it likely result in me being sued? And if they say yes, then you don't do it. If you went and saw an accountant and said, if I uh, don't pay, you know, is this open to tax? And they say yes, then you pay the tax. You know, it's a quite a binary outcome in those professions. And I think because advertising or communications is something that naturally appeals to human instincts and therefore everybody can be applicable to it, the recommendation and the um, and I guess the uh, guidance that communication agencies give, whether they're creative or media or, or whatever they might be, are sort of taken as optional. And I think ideally as an industry, we should aspire to the idea that we have um, enough marketing science behind us to inform the outcome, but we have enough vulnerability to identify when creativity is that distinctable selling edge that gives a brand its premium. Um, and, and so I think to your comment or to your question around how, what is the standard of work? Are people pushing it? I think what I'm seeing more and more and more is really smart CMOs and really smart organizations understanding innovation is coming from the office of the CMO. 
and that innovation is taking many forms. So is it comms? Is it product? Is it service design? Is it in, in is it people and process and culture? And um, and what I'm seeing those smart CMOs doing is elevating their positions in their organisations by owning the customer and owning the marketing science that allows them to say with great certainty, I'm about to spend $50 million and that's why this $50 million is about to be brilliantly spent. So I don't know if I actually gave you a point of view then around where we're at, but I think we're in a pretty good spot that marketing science has allowed the CMO to evolve into a far more influential position in their organisation than possible. And that has also created an agency for a, a, an opportunity for smart agencies to pull through that vacuum underneath that CMO and provide that insight in a way that maybe previously was only available through consultancies. And I guess another another point uh, on that is, do you think the industry has the potential to be a little bit too self-critical? Uh, I know looking on some of the comments sections on certain websites, including our own, which we've, we've recently reintroduced, some comments are plainly put nasty and you kind of don't want to let them through. But is there a way to kind of be more constructive in this aspect? Yeah, it's a very unique thing about Australia. You talked before about talent coming over from the UK or the US. Uh, you know, people who have grown up in those markets are flabbergasted by the level of uh, or the lack of support that is seemingly given on those forums. I find, though, there's a, there's a real gap between what's written on those forums and actually the supportive nature of the industry um, at many different times, but particularly any hard times that I've experienced um, in the agency over maybe the last 12 months, say I've been overwhelmed with the support from leaders from other agencies, um, incredible generosity uh, from people offering you know, their, their uh, support and thoughts all the way through to offering resources that they can help. So, you know, like I think, I think there's a real disparity between those things. I think what, what the other negative thing with comments is you can never tell if it's one person writing 10 nasty things or if it's 10 people writing one nasty thing each. And I think what the comments often do is give a disproportional voice to the, um, you know, to basically the, the, the angry people, the misaligned. Um, so, so where open comment forums are quite good in terms of, you know, allowing, uh, you know, particularly in some of the things Mumbrella does around allowing people to almost whistleblow in a format where they can do that um, privately, you know, I think it maybe misses some of the the due, you know, the due processes of um, people being able to substantiate or not substantiate claims. So it is a, it's a really tricky thing. I I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, as in, I don't think it's going to go away. I think there's there's been many people at many times, I guess, have a quest to try to promote positivity within our industry, and that comes and goes. Um, I don't think it's the blog owner responsibilities. You know, I think Mumbrella and Campaign Brief, as long as there's strong moderation yeah. uh, components there that, that, you know, avoid defamation and slander, I think that's good. And then I think we just have to grow up as an industry and, and just be supportive publicly rather than tear people down. But that, you know, that's, that's going to be a generational change that's required to make that happen. Yeah, for sure. I guess just a few ones finally. It would be interesting, you know, you spent the the best part of your career to date within the same group, then obviously transitioning to running your own business. What are some of the reflections from this transition from Chet to setting up your own shop? Yeah, I get asked, I get asked that question a lot actually. And I think first and foremost, on a service level, there's not a lot of difference in terms of the responsibility you feel. 
um, whether I was running a business for someone else or whether I'm running a business for myself. And it still, it still feels like you're accountable in the same level. And I think even just saying then that felt quite jarring to me because I don't feel like I'm running this for myself. I feel like there's a team here and we're running it together. And that's exactly how I felt, Jeff. felt like it was a team of us doing it together. So I think in many ways, um, personal accountability and responsibility, ownership, you know, is mostly relevant. I think the difference I've certainly felt is um, the ability to move with speed is definitely different as an independent. Um, and that's not to say, you know, that holding companies are slow. That's not the case. It's just that they are enormous businesses and need to have the appropriate checks and balances in place. And, you know, if I was running a holding company, I'd have those same checks and balances in place as well. So they're just different business structures. You know, a, a smaller business with 60 people can move very quickly versus an organisation that has a couple of thousand. So, um, and, you know, and, and in the same way, you know, holding companies, you know, potentially have a uh, deeper pockets and can maybe, you know, do different things differently that maybe independents can't. So there's, there's pros and cons for each. I find it very exciting, however, to be able to make quick decisions and to be able to innovate at the speed with which innovation is required. And that is a, a thing that's always motivated me as an agency leader is to figure out what our clients need next and create products and services that can deliver those. And, and those products and services, if we're really honest, in agencies require people. And so the speed with which you can attract great people and hire them, even if the forecast don't necessarily afford that, is I think the difference of independence. And, um, and that allows, I think, independence to have great work, have great people, align uh, around some shared values and, you know, we're seeing a really positive independent um, agency community in Australia right now. And just finally, going back one year, is there anything you would do differently now setting up? Yeah. Yeah, I think the answer to that is always yes. I often will lie in bed going to sleep. Um, well, some nights I'm sure you're the same. You hear this bill and you don't have time to think. But the times that you lie and you pull on, you, you think about the day, there's always things I'd change. There's always approach things differently. Um, you know, I'd, I'd do different things for sure. But without, I guess, that acknowledgement, there's nothing to learn. So I feel like the real positive for me over last year is having learned a lot. Um, and, you know, with a, with a wonderful team, built a great business that, uh, you know, it plans to be here for decades to come so lots to learn from the year that's gone um, but I think that'll give us the uh, currency and insight as to what we should do next awesome well Chris thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today pleasure thanks for having me Colin and that is it for this week's Mumbrella Cast. Please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if it does offer the opportunity, give us a rating if you like what you hear. Check the website for more regular content and updates. Kalila, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Cal. Pleasure. And thanks again to Dan and Chris. Till next week.